my resolution last year was I wanted to read uh, 52 books. So I wanted to read a book a week because I used to read a lot. And then I, uh, we got cable basically when I was like 10. And then I stopped reading as much. And I tried to read 52 books last year. I almost did it. I was close, let's just say. But what I found in that process was I love starting a new book. Like when you pick up that brand new book and all the pages are still nice and you haven't spilled water on it yet or the the book jacket is like nice and clean, there's no creases. And just knowing like this is, you're going to finish this book and you're going to have all that knowledge and all those ideas from it or you're going to know the story that it tells. And I love finishing a book and being able to like check it off list. Like, yeah, I read this book and you put it back on the shelf and you that's a book I read, and uh, but, but the part in between is hard, and I don't love that part. If I could just start and finish books without having to read them, that would I'd be my ideal way to read books. It's a system I have to work on still. But I, I enjoy reading. I, I genuinely do, and I like the knowledge and all the stories that you can find from books. And so tonight we're going to start off with a story. It's called uh, the Bible, and we're going to go through the whole thing right now. And some of you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. (laughs) What we're actually going to be focusing on tonight is the very end of the Bible, all the way in the very last book of the Bible. But in order to get us there, we need to put some context around it. So we're going to fly through the whole thing so that this all makes sense. But first, just an overview of the Bible. So the Bible, Bible means book, which is kind of a little misleading because the Bible really isn't one book. It's actually 66 books. So it might have been more accurate would be to call it like biblioteca, which means library because it is a small library of books. There's 66 books in the Bible and they're written by many different authors over like a few thousand years. There are books of prophecy of law. There are biographies. There are songbooks. There's a love letter. There are letters to different churches. And all those books, they add up to tell one continuous story. And so we're just going to, like, 30,000 feet in the air view of that, that big story tonight. So at the very beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that is creation. He created the universe, he created the galaxies, the planets, every living creature, every stone, rock, mountain, prairie, beach. He created it all and he said, this is good. And then he created humans. And these were made in his image and he he made them and he said, okay, you look and act the most like me. So I want you to take care of the earth and do good work and be fruitful and take care of the planet and multiply But I have one rule for you. There's one tree in this garden that you're located in, and you can't eat from it. And it's kind of like there's this principle in filmmaking where if they show a gun on screen, that gun will inevitably fire later on in that movie. And just like there's a tree that they can't eat from, inevitably they they end up eating from the tree. So at this time, sin enters the world. And they have broken this system. And God had told them, if you eat the tree, the fruit from this tree the punishment will be that death enters the world. 
And so they do that. They, they eat the fruit that they're not supposed to, and sin enters the world. And this is the fall that we are introduced to. It's the fall of humanity. And so they've broken this very good system that God had laid out for them. And so now humans have this broken system, and God has to put a plan in place to fix it. So that whole story, whether you think it's quite literal or whether you think it's just a metaphor for something, I don't think it really matters how that all unfolded. I think what really matters, though, is four things. is God created everything. Everything was good. Humans messed it up. And God has been carrying out a plan to fix it ever since. So after this happens, he kicks them out of the garden and he puts into place this plan to fix it all. And so... A few hundred years later, we are introduced to this man named Abraham. And God says, Abraham, okay, I want you to be the father of a great nation. And so Abraham has children, and his children have children. And then a few hundred years later, they are the size of a nation. And God says, okay, these are my chosen people. They are here on earth to do good work and to be set apart and to be an example of what a community should look like if it's made how I wanted it to be originally. And if they're good, then life will be good. If they are not so good, then life will not be so good. But unfortunately, this time, they don't have just one rule. They have 613 rules they have to follow, which is an impossible task. And honestly, they do horrible for most of it. For the next few hundred years, we mostly see them not really following these rules, and they follow other gods, and they just make a mess of things. Because they were given a task that they really couldn't live up to. And part of that system is every time they do something wrong, something has to die because the punishment for sin is death. So it's mostly animals. They have to sacrifice their animals. So they would have been farmers for the most part. They would have had cattle and sheep. And so they have to take a healthy, strong cow and sacrifice it before the Lord, or they have to take a a young, strong spotless lamb and sacrifice it in order to make up the debt for their sin. And so we journey with these people, with the Israelites, for the next few hundred years through all their failures, their few successes, and they have kings and judges and prophets and oppressors. And eventually there are these people living within the Roman Empire under Caesar Augustus, and they have this King Herod, and they are introduced to a new king, a new character in the story. And that king is Jesus. Many people would agree that Jesus was the most important person to ever live. I would say that. I think even historians who aren't looking at this in a religious context would argue that. He was an incredibly influential person. And Jesus is the Son of God sent on earth to live as a human here on earth. And so he, in his short time here, he's only, he only lived till he was about 33 years old. And in that time, he experiences humanity. Because up until that point, there had been this separation between God and humans. In the book of Job, actually, there's a passage where Job says, and Job is a good man who has to go, undergo all of these trials and all these afflictions. And so we read this book where Job says, God, like you can't even understand. You're sitting way up there and I'm down here going through all this hardship and I can't even really talk to you about it because you just won't get it. 
Like if you've ever tried to help somebody with a problem that you haven't experienced yourself, it can be really difficult because you can't actually relate to them. And Job is complaining to God, you can't actually relate to me right now. But that's where Jesus comes in and he actually fills that gap and he experiences all of the hardships of humanity. But through all of that, he never messes up once. He never sins even once. So Jesus has these years of incredibly fruitful work where he teaches, he heals, he performs miracles, he casts out demons, and he gains this large following. But then he is ordered to be put to death because the Roman Empire and the religious leaders of the day really didn't like Jesus because they thought he was going to cause an uprising in Rome. So they order for him to be put to death. And it's not just like something quick. It's not like lethal injection. They strip him of his clothes and they beat him and they whip him and they mock him and they spit on him. And then they nail him to a tree where he hangs in front of his loved ones and his accusers and is put to death. And from our perspective, that is not fair. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. And that would be accurate. But in order to make up for great sin, there needed to be great sacrifice. In order to make up for the sins of all of humanity, there needed to be a great and perfect spotless lamb to be able to make up for that sin. And Jesus was that spotless lamb who was sent to die for our sins. For every sin that I have committed, it was covered by Jesus. Every sin that you have committed was covered by Jesus. And after he dies, he actually raises again under his own power. So he takes on all the sin of the world and he dies. And three days later, he leaves all that sin behind and he is resurrected again under his own power. And he goes and he meets his disciples and he sends them out to go start the church. And then he ascends into heaven. And after he does that, the church goes absolutely viral. The first time that they give a message, 3,000 people join the church. And it goes worldwide on these roads that the Romans have built. And it has never stopped since. Ever since that day, we have had the church and it has grown and grown and it has been an institution throughout all of history. But today we're going to be looking at one of Jesus' followers and his story. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 21. If you would like a Bible and you don't have one, we can get you one after the service. But otherwise, we'll have it on the screen so you can follow along. So just a quick bit of context. This passage is written by a follower of Jesus named John. And we are not entirely sure who John was. Many people think that he was with Jesus and lived with him. That might not be true. It's kind of unclear. But what's important is that he was a follower of Jesus and he was working for the church. And the governing body where he was really didn't like what he was doing, so they actually banished him to an island called Patmos. And I think we should have a picture of that. So this island is just off the coast of Turkey, that little red dot there. And that's where he is, basically in prison. It's kind of like an Alcatraz situation. And he writes this book while he has a vision there. And he writes it down in the book of Revelation, which genre-wise we would consider to be apocalyptic literature. So if you think of like, uh, like 2012, that movie, or uh, World War Z, which I have not seen, but I think it's apocalyptic. I don't watch a lot of these movies. Um, 
But in a lot of those movies, like end of the world, end times, there's all like, they're just usually crazy because the world is coming to an end and things are just getting out of hand. And this is kind of the experience he has is he's watching the end of the world and he sees these mythical creatures. One of them has like six wings and eyes all over and the face of a lion. And he sees the destruction of the earth. He sees how God defeats evil. And he sees this new city descending before him. And as he's watching this new city, the city that God is going to inhabit with his people, he hears this voice. So we pick this up in verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. So John has just seen so much. These mythical beasts. He goes into the throne room of God. And as he describes it, it's just like a basically a list of jewels. And I think basically he was like, well, I can't describe this, but it's shiny. So it looks like an emerald and a sapphire and a, a diamond, I guess. And he hears choirs singing and rejoicing. He experiences a half hour where everything is totally silent. He sees the devil being thrown into a lake of fire. And all of this, the climax of all of these events is a voice saying from the throne, the old order of things has passed away. I am making everything new. So what does that mean? Well, this is where we enter the restoration part of the story. And if we look at the story of the Bible, we follow this order of creation, fall, redemption, and now restoration. So the old order begins way at the beginning of the story in Genesis. And God creates everything, humanity quickly falls, and then God puts in this long, long process of redemption. Because God wanted us to be able to live in harmony with himself and with nature and with each other, but we messed that system up, and sin entered the world. But then God puts into place this plan of redemption, and through that, he uses all of these different people throughout the Bible. And if you look at those different people, what you'll find as a trend is that none of them are really that great in a way. Like, he doesn't pick the most talented or the people who really have it together. He actually picks, like, murderers and liars and people who cheat on their wives and people who have anger problems and who deal with like depression and anxiety and fear. And he, he takes them and he absolutely thrives through those people. He thrives in using broken people to accomplish what he wants to be accomplished. And he was able to take all of those people and get us to the point where Jesus comes back and proves that he was trustworthy. Because he told people that a Messiah was coming, a Savior was coming, somebody was coming, to actually set all things right. And that happens. Jesus comes and he sets all things right again. And if we look 
Ahead, we can see that God will be trustworthy. God is going to restore all things to himself. There is going to be a new city where we live with him forever. And there will be no more crying, no more mourning or tears or death or pain. And so if God was trustworthy and he will be trustworthy, then we know that God is trustworthy and that we can actually trust him here and now. This is not a God who sits up in the sky and looks down at us and scolds us and condemns us. This is actually a God who comes down and steps down to live as one of us and to experience what we're experiencing and to actually lay down his life in this horrible, horrific way so that he can actually understand what it's like to be you. Because God loves you and God loves you so much that he actually would come down and die so that you can have eternal life with him. God has promised us that he has a plan to make everything right again. So how can you enter into that plan? How do we get into that city where there's going to be no more mourning or crying or death or pain? I'd say two things. First, we just stop and then we say yes. Stop and say yes. What do I mean when I say stop? Well, we stop our old way of life. We stop running from God. We stop doubting God. And that's kind of why we named this church Zed. This is a big reason for it. We know that sometimes endings are necessary, and Zed is the last letter of the alphabet, and it marks an ending, but sometimes in order for a new thing to begin, something has to end. And so for us, Zed represents the day where we stop running from God, and we actually put an end to that life, and then we are able to enter into a new story. I was talking about opening and closing books, and some of you right now with your life are writing a story that doesn't have God in it. And chances are there's probably just a lot of conflict, but not a lot of resolution in that story. Some of you might need to actually close that book and you actually need to hand it over to God so that he can hand you a new book and he can hand you a fresh start and a story that actually he is in. And so that he can actually rewrite your future where you end up in this city with God forever. I'm not going to lie, it's not really, it's not easy to follow Jesus. You might have to make some really tough choices and you might have to stop doing some things that you really don't want to stop doing. You might be ridiculed by others. But if you do, then I can promise you that God has great things in store for you and he has a new story that is going to be so much better than the ones that we can write on our own for ourselves. So close the book. And this leads us all to this final question. Would you like to be made new? Because the door is open and all you have to do is just put an end to the things that are not of God. Give that to him and say yes to Jesus and say yes to that new story. Because when Jesus was hanging on that cross, he actually had you in mind. And he did it for you because he didn't want you to have to have to struggle with the things of this world anymore. He wanted you to actually be able to be free and to take a new step in following him and to be made new. Thank you for joining us for the Zed Church Podcast. 
At Zed Church, we are passionate about seeing life change and seeing a change happen in our city. And we hope that this message has encouraged you to pursue both. If you would like to find out more about who we are, how you can get involved, or how you can give to Zed Church, we encourage you to find us at zedchurch.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at zedchurch.ca. We hope that you have been blessed through this message, and we hope that you continue to join us in the future.